Welcome to Sunday on Monday, the best show about cannabis banking that you can listen to any day of the week. Brought to you by Safe Harbor Financial, the unparalleled leaders in cannabis banking. Bank with confidence. Hello, my name is Jason Dias, and recently I attended a banking conference down in San Antonio, Texas, and a lot of people know that I have my national banking podcast and that I also do the monthly Sunday on Monday podcast where we talk about cannabis banking, and it always inspires a lot of questions. I had not been to a conference in a long time since before the pandemic, and I was standing there with about a dozen banking professionals, and they were asking me lots of questions about Sunday and Safe Harbor Financial and just the entire business of cannabis banking. And Sunday and I both enjoyed last month's episode where we were taking questions, answering questions that people had sent me, and we always welcome that. If you have any questions you would like me to ask Sunday, please send them to me. I've got my email address right there in the episode description. And of course, the people that were there could tell that I'm an advocate for cannabis. Well, while I was talking to these banking professionals, somebody asked me, well, do you use cannabis? Well, of course, in Texas, it's illegal, and so I was not about to admit to a misdemeanor. But it got me thinking, even if you're talking to somebody in a state like Colorado where it is legal to use cannabis recreationally, is that a polite question? And so I asked Sunday about that. First, let me state that, you know, my this is my personal opinion based upon my observation of the market and of course Colorado is a fairly mature market so I think I've seen enough and have spoken with enough people in the industry that I can at least have a clue to answer a question like this. I think if we view cannabis like alcohol it still depends on the relationship you have with the person you want to ask. Sobriety isn't something that people offer up all the time. People just don't put a sign out and say, I'm sober. But people also don't put a sign up and say, I drink alcohol, do you? So it's really kind of a personal deal, still, cannabis, alcohol. So I think if you view it again like alcohol, you're going to treat it like alcohol. You have a tendency to find out if people drink by building that relationship, going to dinner, having them over to your house. The same pertains, I think, to cannabis in this situation. Uh, it's, it's just about relationship. The difference I see here is, is a truly a curiosity level, and, and that could lead to some very uncomfortable conversation. Let's think about this. You know, do you enjoy cannabis? Do you partake of cannabis? Maybe you get the answer yes. Now the question pops into somebody's mind, gee, how long have you been partaking of cannabis? Did you partake before it was legal? Did you have a medical license? It gets a little personal and a little uncomfortable. So I think people will avoid that conversation for some time to come in order to not talk about the gray area that existed before because we don't know how big the black market was. We don't know how many people lived in the gray market. We just don't know and we don't want to put people in that uncomfortable conversation. I think one of the interesting things that's going to happen now though is that they're starting to open 
social clubs where cannabis is allowed. And it's going to be treated again more like alcohol. So people are going to say, would you like to meet at this new social club and, and see what's going on there tonight? That's going to be an interesting new market, I think, that's coming out and about. And those clubs start to open. And, and curiosity is going to drive people there just to see what that's all about. The next question came from a conversation I was having with these credit union professionals. If you're not in the banking marketplace, you may not know that credit unions and banks have state associations, they have state leagues and large trade associations that advocate on behalf of the banks and credit unions. They put on conferences, they provide compliance support. But if you go out and pay attention and follow a lot of them, as I do, you, you find out they really do stay away from cannabis banking. And so I wanted to ask Sunday, could the trades be doing more to help with the advocacy of cannabis and some of the regulatory relief that people would like to see in all banking, but specifically in cannabis banking? I don't know that the, the associations and trades stood that far back from cannabis. I think it was certainly a controversial subject. And one of the reasons it was so controversial is because there were a number of financial institutions, whether credit unions or banks, that jumped in and got pushed out of the market, who were doing the first experiments, who were trying to get a cannabis banking program off the ground, and regulators were not comfortable or they were not doing it correctly. But even those financial institutions served those of us who followed well because we took and looked at what went wrong in their programs and we made sure that we tried to avoid those pitfalls. If you remember, associations are made up of financial institutions, and financial institutions are conservative by nature and for good reason, as they protect the safety and soundness of their members' money or the safety and soundness of the financial system altogether, they're not going to act fast, and that's not actually the kind of banker you want. You want the one who's protecting your money out there. So back to the associations. The associations reflect their membership. Therefore, if the majority of the membership doesn't want to move in that direction, then the association isn't going to move in that direction. That being said, while they didn't want to support us directly, while we were banking cannabis, and there was a group of us. We started finding each other, and we've cre we created our own little roundtable. And while directly they didn't want to say we're supporting cannabis as a rule and for legislation, they, they still did assist us on the side and indirectly. And so we weren't without some support during this process and trying to organize ourselves as a roundtable to move and discuss this in Washington, D.C. and to see if we could further our efforts and obtain protection. I think the funny thing is here is, you know, here we are seven, eight years later and we still have no legislation and it didn't matter how much work anybody was going to do, it didn't seem that Washington had the appetite to pass any type of legislation to protect cannabis banking financial institutions. As they always say, Rome wasn't built in a day and, and certainly times won't change overnight for cannabis either. And um, conservative isn't necessarily a uh, negative position, so I can't say that it, their standoffish nature was 
you know, impacting to those of us banking cannabis one way or another. And we were going to do it with or without legislation because safety of the community was what we were all looking at, doing the right things for our communities. That's what we were looking at in our own communities, and that was our driving force. And we also knew that the people around us supported what we were doing, so we felt we could forge ahead with or without the support of associations, with or without the support of legislation, and hope that it would all catch up to us at some point in the future. This next question is a great example of one that I won't know the answer to until I hear the show or until I edit the show and I hear Sunday's answer. As I was standing there talking to these banking professionals, one gentleman from a state where cannabis is still illegal asked, how are you handling pre-employment drug screening? He said, if it's ever legalized in my state, I don't mind what people do at home, but I certainly don't want people managing other people's finances while under the influence. So are there tests that allow you to say, are, are there rules or regulations that like we can test you randomly at work? Are, is there a way to know whether you're currently under the influence versus having enjoyed cannabis the night before? I thought it was a very interesting question, and this is what Sunday had to say about it. You are certainly asking complex questions today. And this is interesting because we did touch on social equity in the last podcast. And this does kind of take off from there at a different level. But, you know, you can get tests. Uh, many workplaces use random urine testing at this point in time to determine if uh, somebody is using cannabis. But the problem is most of those are done because they can never use it, never be impaired. Those would be um, service-type positions where they're actually carrying weapons or maybe there are driving machi machinery, that type of thing. You just can't afford to have them ever using. And people who sign up for those jobs usually understand that quite clearly. There are also tests being used and developed for law enforcement so that uh, police can pull someone over and determine if they're driving impaired at the point of being pulled over. So those two will eventually be mainstream, I believe, that employers can use. So in my opinion now, as an employer, I think there are several things that need to be considered here. One, are you going to employ somebody that may have a drug-related history conviction? Um, so that's the first thing, right? Do, what do you do when you see that? And you have to start asking, you got a misdemeanor because you were carrying marijuana while it was you know, illegal, and do you not hire that person? So that's the first policy I think you have to address. The second one is, what are you going to do if they happen to have a medical license? Are you going to start collecting the medicinal licenses that employer, employees or potential employees may have at the time they apply? Or are you even going to ask about their utilization of cannabis and whether they have a license if in a legal state where adult use is legal? It's going to get a bit tricky there. And you have to decide if you want to do those random tests at the workplace as a financial institution and who's going to administer them and how accurate they're going to be. And then if you get a positive test, what do you do? So an entire policy has to be written on that one. And I know I sound like a broken record, but like alcohol, you can see, you can observe if somebody is impaired on the job due to the use of cannabis. Not to mention, I think employees are only too willing 
to report the use of cannabis if it is interfering with the performance of one of their coworkers, and there's a protective measure in place where it can be done anonymously. So I think there are ways to find out, but it really bottle, it really boils down that the supervisors on the, are on the spot. They know their employees well. They can determine if someone is drunk on the job or if someone is high on the job, or even if somebody's impaired with cold medicines, right? That actually is a concern that people have on the job. So they still remain, I think, the frontline defense here. Again, this is all my opinion, but um, we have found the use of cough medicine, just pure cough medicine, the abuse of cough medicine on the job because it's something that you can determine. Something's not right, and then somebody finds a lot of bottles in the trash can. I mean, there are ways of determining if your employees are using it on the job or not. And most of the time, coworkers, I think, don't want it used on the job and are willing to also um, blow that whistle if necessary. On a personal note, i got to tell you, I learned so much doing this podcast. Another question that came up, for those of you that may not be entirely familiar with the story behind Safe Harbor Financial, and if you're not, I encourage you to get Sunday's book. You can find it on the Safe Harbor website and listen to the first year of podcast that we did. It was all about the history and the evolution of the brand. It, it started at a, a re- relatively small credit union in Colorado call, called Partner Colorado Credit Union. One of the credit union chief executives asked, do you know if any of the members objected to Partner Colorado Credit Union getting involved in cannabis back when it started, and how did the credit union handle that? And this is what Sunday had to say. Finally, an easier question. Thank you. Um, Our members did not have a problem with us doing, as far as I know, our members did not have a problem with us implementing cannabis banking. Most of them didn't realize that we were so quiet about it to begin with, and we actually did it under Safe Harbor Private Banking, a DBA of Partner Colorado versus directly under the uh, Partner Colorado name, and that probably helped. But when we, when it did come out, I, I think employees were the first to hear about it and members realized that we were one in the same organization and they would say, that's a good thing to do. Thank you for doing that. We probably had more members um, join the credit union because they saw that we were supporting the community this way and were pleased to know that we were doing it for the safety purpose of our community than those who complained. In my own personal experience, I only had one member complain. And again, it came from a moral judgment of this is completely wrong, but they weren't thinking about the entire community and the, and the safety issues in the community, that money running all over the town and, and putting themselves even in harm's way. So it was it definitely came from a moral level and versus a um, business level or safety level or community level. So I wasn't too concerned, and we never lied to our members, certainly, and, and it, was in, uh, it was disclosed in our annual report or our annual audit, and it was something that we didn't shy away from discussing, but it, it just wasn't something we went out there again and really touted, but not because we didn't want our members to know but because we couldn't afford to have every cannabis company in Colorado showing up at the doorstep, right? That we could not handle all at once. We had to do a slow, methodical implementation and growth plan.
Now, I should note, while this conference where I'm having this conversation is occurring in Texas, there are uh, men and women banking professionals from all over the country. But I have to say, as I sat through this conversation, taking all of these questions, I got the sense that most people were peppering with questions because they were skeptical about cannabis banking. And at one point, I made an observation that as I've started doing the Sunday on Monday show, I've gotten in contact with lots of people in the cannabis marketplace through LinkedIn and social media channels and have been working more with people in that marketplace. I made an observation that the people in cannabis banking, they don't miss meetings, they don't forget calls, they don't call in late, they don't ask me questions about an email where the the answer to the question was included in the email. They just seem more diligent. They're typically a little younger, and I asked Sunday, Are they more diligent because they have to be? Certainly, I think cannabis bankers and those who implement a program are are paying attention to the details because this is a compliance-driven program. No matter where you implement it, it's all about compliance, and it takes the attention to detail and those type of people to actually run, implement, and monitor a program. You cannot afford to not see the details. So I would say, yes, cannabis bankers have to be more diligent and they have to be on the details and watching everything about the program to protect the safety and soundness of not only their financial institution, but the financial system in general. I have you know, met a lot of you know, cannabis bankers, and it's not usually a position that you put somebody who's a great seller in. You put somebody who is, who's got good attention and to compliance and details and can also do some service on the side, but compliance first. This next question I almost omitted. I almost did not send it to Sunday, but it was an observation I made at that conference that I've made working in banking during the time that I've gotten to know Sunday and the folks at Safe Harbor, and that is a lot of older CEOs in the banking marketplace, and mostly male, continue to be very dismissive and skeptical and, yes, even condescending about cannabis banking and Safe Harbor in particular. And I asked Sunday the question anyway. I sent her the question anyway, and I'm so glad I did because it might be the best answer to any question I've ever asked in the over 3,000 podcasts that I've hosted during my time as the president of Eloquent Online. So the question is, how do we change that dismissive and condescending attitude? Now, this is a funny question. How do we change this? Why bother? (laughs) You're talking about an older group of CEOs who are leery about the cannabis industry, who are carrying around moral judgment from the past, who, who just will never bend, and why should they? You know, that's their world. That's the one they want to live in. And if they view the rest of us as being too liberal, well, that's the world we live in today. This is not your world of 30 years ago. So it doesn't even bother those of us who are doing what we are doing because we're doing it for the right reason. And we are keeping up with the demands of our marketplace, with the demands of our members, with the demands of our community. And therefore, there's no shame in that. Um, So 
I don't think it's worth even trying to change their opinion. Uh, either they'll go into retirement with the same opinion or they'll understand that in order to stay in the marketplace, they have to appreciate the fact that cannabis is here and here to stay whether they like it or not. True that. Well, final question for this episode, although it was asked to me during this conversation with these banking professionals. As you know, today you can do your research on somebody right there with your phone. And the person had done that and found out that I had, for five years, hosted a Christian podcast. And this person asked me, Jason, how do you square your Christian faith with your advocacy for cannabis? Well, I answered it, but I wanted to pass that question on to Sunday. And we had a lot of discussion about whether we should air her answer. We ultimately decided that we would. And so I asked Sunday, if somebody asked you this question, how would you answer it? Now, while this could be very controversial, I think I will take a stab at this question, but a very short stab. Obviously, I think I've let people know in my history that my father was an independent Baptist minister for the first part of my life, and then he and my mother were missionaries, and we were on the mission field with them as kids, you know, and my mother still runs a Christian orphanage program down in South Africa. My father has since passed away, um, but they gave their entire life to being Christians and serving as Christians for um, their beliefs. So I'm not uh, one of those people who don't who doesn't understand the nature of this question. What I will say is that um, I haven't seen any place in the Bible where it actually says cannabis is bad. I have seen in the Bible do all things in moderation. But it was man who labeled cannabis as bad. It was man who put that on society, not necessarily God. Because God does allow in the Bible for alcohol. And again, I know, broken record am I. (laughs) Alcohol and alcohol and cannabis, they, they seem to be very interchangeable. I've got eight years of looking at this, eight years of hearing about this, And the big difference there is there is so much evidence that cannabis also has a medicinal use, and I haven't seen that with alcohol. So I um, don't have to square this up with my Christian faith. I think I have to square this up with God, and quite frankly, I don't think that God's been against me. So if God be for me on this journey, who be against me? Well, I answered the question almost exactly the same way. I have been advocating for the legalization of cannabis for over 30 years here in the state of Texas where it is still illegal. So Sunday's done a better job of it than I have. Once again, thank you so much for the questions. Please keep them coming. I mean, Sunday is very giving of her time and enjoys informing people and letting people know how things are going with cannabis advocacy, things that are happening at Safe Harbor Financial as we count down the days and weeks and months to going public and ringing the bell. We always welcome your questions and comments. And of course, we want to thank you so much for listening to Sunday on Monday, the best show about cannabis banking that you can listen to any day of the week. Brought to you by Safe Harbor Financial, the leaders in cannabis banking. Bank with confidence. My name is Jason Dyes, and until next month, we'll talk to you soon.